This is Conducting Business. I'm Naomi Lewin. Improvisation is a nearly obsolete art in classical music these days, but virtuosos used to do it all the time. Mozart freely improvised on his own tunes. Liszt would strike up an aria from a Wagner opera and embellish it. Even legendary piano showmen of the 20th century made it part of their performance practice early in their careers. People like Vladimir Horowitz, Arthur Rubinstein, and Leopold Godofsky, as you can hear in this Chopin waltz piano roll. In a moment, we will talk with a pianist who has tried to revitalize the art of improvisation in classical music. Joining us first is Clive Brown, a musicologist at the University of Leeds in England who has studied this phenomenon. You recently wrote an article entitled, We're Playing Classical Music All Wrong. Composers Wanted Us to Improvise. All wrong, really? Yeah, well, it's certainly very different the way we play it now. Since about the early years of the 20th century, there was a kind of revolution with modernism, with the advent of modernism. People wanted to reject the past. And so they started deciding that the habits of the old musicians were in some way corrupt and unfaithful to the composer's notation. They failed to understand that the composer's notation had to be read in a different way than they read it. They took it literally. What the composers intended was to convey the essence to the performer, and the performer, being trained in in, in being a fine performer, would understand how to read behind the notation and find out what the composer really wanted. Sometimes that would be improvisation as we understand it, though that was increasingly restricted to particular genres as the 19th century went on. But it was also, as one hears in in jazz and many genres of popular music, adding things like unequal rhythms, where the rhythms were actually written as if they were equal, or um, adding portamento, that's sliding from one note to another. All sorts of expressive gestures of that kind were considered to be integral to the music. You wrote that improv didn't just go away, that it was deliberately suppressed. Was that due to recordings or competitions or radio, television, what? It's not so much deliberately suppressed. I mean, composers started writing their music in ways which didn't demand improvisation in the same way that, say, Mozart had expected it. But they still expected another kind of improvisation, which is not playing the notes straight. I mean, that's where there's the parallel with jazz and popular music today. We've lost that in classical music because everybody thinks they just have to stick strictly to the notation. So pianists didn't play chords together. They spread them, and they spread them in all sorts of different ways to be expressive. That's not marked in the music for the most part, but they understood that the proper normal way to play a chord was not quite together, and sometimes very much not together. And violinists... They slid from one note to another because that was the expected way of giving the music expression. Or they used vibrato. They didn't use it all the time. They used it on special notes to make those notes stand out. So that kind of improvisation went on right through into the music of Brahms. Can you pinpoint when exactly this all started happening or stopped happening, as the case may be, improvisation? It started gradually. I mean, there's, I mean, there's an American composer, McDowell, who wrote piano pieces. And in one of these piano pieces, he actually had a footnote to say that chords marked with a special sign were to be played absolutely together, because otherwise the players would have played them spread, as I, as I said earlier. Mm-hmm. Um, gradually, because it wasn't marked in the music that you should spread the chords, people around the 1910s, 20s started to think they shouldn't be doing it. 
And that became absolutely firm dogma by the 1930s. So pianists more or less stopped. You still hear it with some of the older pianists a bit, but it disappears almost entirely by the 1950s. String players stopped sliding after about the 1930s. They, they said, oh, you can't do this because it's not marked in the music. It's in bad taste to add it. So sort of giving credence to the expression that tradition is the last bad performance. Well, I suppose so, yeah. I mean, they certainly thought that of the older players. They thought they, these, were, these were corrupting the composer's intentions. Is the increased lack of flexibility in classical music in any way related to the rise of the authoritarian conductor? Well, to some extent. I mean, Stravinsky struggled to make his orchestras play what was strictly on the page and not to bend the notes in the ways that they were used to. But I think the main factor in it is recording. Because once you can fix something with a recording, you can hear exactly what happens, and then you look at it with the score, and you see it's not doing what it says in the score. And this, this makes people much more aware, and, and the idea of spontaneous performance, which was, of course, what happened in the 19th century. Every performance was different. A great performer would always perform the work slightly differently. And then you get this idea that you've got one chance to make a recording, and so you better do it exactly as it says on the page. Is this something that used to be taught in conservatories that then also fell out of favor in conservatories? Oh, yes. Well, it was certainly taught in the 19th century. Um, Hummel and Spohr, two early 19th century composers and um, publishers of um, theory books, they talk about a correct performance, which they say is playing all the notes as they appear on the page, and a beautiful performance, which is learning where to read between the lines and to do different things with the notation. And that was certainly being taught through till the end of the 19th century, even into the beginning of the 20th century in Berlin, in the Hochschule under Joachim. You wrote your article about improvisation in connection with the opening of the new Philharmonie Concert Hall in Paris. How is that related? Well, it was the idea of making classical music more popular and getting it to people. And, and, and I think that one of the factors which makes classical music seems stuffy and less interesting to young people is this rigidity with which we play it now. More or less every performance is tied to the notation. It's not, it's not improvisatory in the broad sense, in which you don't get criticized simply because you're not playing the notes exactly as they appear on the page. If you think about it in terms of music competitions, anybody who went into a music competition and started bending the notes like this would be immediately ruled out of order. Like Ivo Pogorelic was. Yeah, yeah. Quite a few people who, who have tried to do this, and they, they don't fare very well with it because there's a prejudice against it. And I guess that would also extend to performance because there are people who then went on to criticize Ivo Pogorelic when he gave what seemed like outlandish performances bending the notes, and it left people running screaming from the concert hall. So you think our ears have just completely changed? Yeah, I think that's right. I think we've been acclimatized by listening to recordings to expect the music to accord very closely with what appears on the page of the score. And that simply wasn't the case in the past. There are a few performers these days who have taken up the mantle of improvisation. We're going to talk in just a moment with the pianist Gabriela Montero and also violinist Hilary Hahn, pianist Robert Levin, or among others who've done it. What do you think can be done to encourage more of this? Oh, I think it has to start in conservatoires. It's only if, if students are introduced to these things and indeed trained in, in, in what makes good style in doing it as well, because otherwise they won't do it. And of course, the conservatoires on the whole 
the teaching is given by people who are established performers who have a way of playing which they want to pass on, and, and it, it isn't this kind of play. I'm more concerned, in a way, with the broader sense of improvisation than the kind of improvisation you, for instance, would have to do in a Mozart piano concerto. I mean, they were still doing that at the end of the 19th century. Um, Karl Reinecke, for instance, is a, is a wonderful example of it. But I think it's this freer approach to the notation, this ability to get beyond the notation and to put that kind of live vigor and energy into the music, which is missing in, in, in so much modern performance. Well, Clive Brown, thank you very much for joining us. Good to talk to you. Joining us now is Gabriela Montero, a pianist who has made improvisation a key element of her career. Ever since she was a kid, she's had a knack for spinning out original creations based on simple themes. And sometimes when she plays a concert, she'll ask audience members to sing melodies and then take off from there improvising. Gabriela Montero also has explored repertory from Bach and Rachmaninoff to Hinastera and Le Cuona. She joins us on the line from Los Angeles to tell us how it all fits together. It's a pleasure to to be with you on on this interview, Naomi. Thank you. Um, Let me just say, our last guest, Clive Brown, suggested that we are playing classical music all wrong by not encouraging musicians to be more mm -hmm. free with their interpretations. Why is improvisation considered to be such a novelty today, and why don't we hear more of it? Well, strangely, it's it's become a, a very rare act to see a classical musician improvise in classical style. I mean, in the last years, it's really been um, more common to see it, of course, in the jazz idiom. But when you look at history and you look at how composers and performers uh, developed their musical language. It, it was very much through improvisation. You know, Beethoven, Bach, uh, Chopin, Liszt. I mean, these were all great improvisers, great composers, and great performers. And it's very funny that I've, instead of evolving in time to become more creating and more avant-garde and more groundbreaking as as artists, we've actually become more timid in showing you know, our personalities and our characters and, and our storytelling through composing or improvisation or performing in the classical field. Why um, do you think that is? You know, I, I think it's, it has to do with somehow the pressure of, uh, of careers or the imaginary sort of uh, limitations that people impose on themselves when the more interesting artists are the ones who've been able to manage and evolve and thrive in not just performing, but also composing, because it's a very immediate language, and it's one that they can they can also use to convey the now and the present and who we are as people today. You describe improvisation as composing in front of an audience. Well, you know, it's something that's that's very natural. That's been a part of my life since I was a little girl. I the v- beginnings of my life at the piano when I was only months old. Uh, had everything to do with improvisation, I would always sit down and tell my stories and my own little emotional vignettes uh, through improvisation, and and I thought it was something that was a part of everybody's life because it was just the most natural relationship with the piano for me to tell stories like that. Do you think everybody has the ability to improvise? I think like with everything in life, I think we have our strengths and weaknesses. I think... 
I do think improvising is an ability, it's a talent, it's neurologically something different that happens in the brain, and and this is this is a very interesting subject and one that I've had some research done on <laughs> neurologically, and it's fascinating to see how the brain behaves when you're improvising or when I'm improvising when I'm playing a written piece. I do think it's a it's a talent, if you want to call that. You've made improvisation a really big part of your career, but it's actually kind of turned out to be a double-edged sword for you. Audiences love it when you do it, but there's been a risk of mistakenly getting labeled as a crossover artist. What is that all about? (laughs) Well, it's a sign of the times, really, because when you think about it, I'm really one of the most old-fashioned performers out there because I'm very much in the tradition of the 19th century performer, composer, improviser. I think... Uh, it's just because there are so few of us that do it on the concert platform that you become an oddity. And the way that the business is set up, people pigeonhole you and they have to find a label for you. So if you improvise, you're too creative or too free to be a classical concert pianist, which is absolute nonsense. I mean, to be able to improvise and create only enhances your ability to view the score of another composer and to bring it to life. So I think it's just a matter of perception. All of that we're changing with my new path as a composer as well as an improviser and with a new recording that I'm that is coming out on the 1st of May where I'm performing Rachmaninoff's second concerto and also my piece Expatia and improvisation. So really giving the space to the three sides of what I do and putting it out there publicly. Tell me about Expatria. Oh, Expatria is a piece that I wrote in 2011, and I dedicated to the 19,336 victims of homicide in my country in Venezuela that year. It's a piece that I felt I had to write to really give a voice to the pain and to the frustration and to the societal collapse in Venezuela through music so that all audiences, regardless of political inclinations, regardless of what they knew or didn't know, would feel what we feel. And through music, you can really create a state of empathy, and you can really affect people so that they take the story with them. It's a tonal poem, it's a very complex piece, and it's a piece that really goes straight to your heart. In working with the whole idea of improvisation, did you listen to or study how earlier pianists embellished what was written down in the score? Not at all. In fact, So this is just all, what you do just comes from your heart. Yes, and it's almost like a higher intelligence, and and I'm not getting all mystical about this. This is really, neurologically, it's something that my my brain co-ops other sides of my brain, very different to what I use when I play a written score, to improvise. So it's literally what I've always said, that I get out of the way. And it's a process that happens, and it's very, very complex. The results are very complex. It happens without my really conducting it. It's beside me. Somehow I witness it. And and I love that liberating feeling that it's really not about me. Does your interest in improvisation affect how you approach a score? The only thing that is sometimes a challenge is sticking to the score because, you know, especially in Mozart, let's say, or if I'm playing Haydn, it would be so easy to play a similar passage but in a different key or just go into an altogether different uh, improvisation that sounds like Mozart but it's not what he wrote. 
But, Our last um, guest was, was all for not sticking to the score. <laughs> well, exactly. I have the other problem, you see. I have to, <laughs> to really try and stick to the music. But um, what I find that, but that it's really brought to my playing of composers is a sense of, of breath and a sense of um, empathy and, uh, and trying to, since, you know, as a composer, I can understand more or less what those composers were trying to say and really bring it to life, really bring it to a human, very direct voice, which is what I am trying to do as a communicator, as a performer. Are some musical styles more suited to improvisation than others? Uh, no, I don't think so. You can improvise in any style with any theme. And, I mean, of course, let's say if I'm playing a Mozart concerto, I usually improvise the cadenzas. Um, I'm going to be doing a project where I play a Mozart concerto and I improvise within the concerto, not just the cadenza. So really trying to go back to what music making was about in the past. It was more about celebrating. It was more about, um, you know, bringing people in. It was more about the the the, the process of of telling that story to an audience that was very openly receiving that creative energy and burst, let's say. So how did you go from improvising on given themes to full-blown composing? Well, the thing is that I've always improvised without a given theme, which is really spontaneous composing. I only began to ask the audiences for a given theme when I realized that they did not believe that I was improvising. So I thought, well, I need to connect the audience with what I'm doing so they first believe me and second, they take part in it, which is really wonderful to see the audience have a voice and and collaborate with me. So my real improvisation is where I sit down and I just let it flow without a theme and these pieces come out. Now, with the composing, it's very similar to that, except that, of course, I can decide if I want to develop something more, if I want to change something. It all comes very, very kind of intuitively and instantaneous, so it's pretty fast. Well, thank you very much for joining us, Gabriela Montero. Well, thank you very much, Naomi. This has been Conducting Business. I'm Naomi Lewin. Brian Wise is our producer. Thanks for listening.